goes more to the heart of God as opposed to an actual offering. But as soon as Joy gave that word about how often have I carried you, I just felt so strong. And then literally, Pastor Larry got up and quoted one of the verses that I was about to read to you this morning. So as we just take a moment in the sense of transition before the ushers come forward, I just would take, like, take a moment. I won't preach. I'll let Pastor Larry do that in a minute. But just to speak to kind of the gaps from those two verses of kind of what I feel God has already done this morning. It is true that there's nothing like the presence of God. It is true that he knows our name. It is true that he has known your name. If you know him, he's known you from the foundation of the world. Anything that was ever made prior to that, he knew you. The verse that he specifically quoted is from Matthew, speaking of the sparrow. At the time, that's like the cheapest thing that you could buy in the market. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Glory. So he knows our name, but he knows everything about us. Which means all the junk, right? And yet, he still loves us. He still went to that cross for us. Ushers, you can make your way forward. When it comes to giving, you can't outgive God because he already gave it all on that cross. The other verse is John 15, 13. Speaking of that love, no one has greater love than this than someone lays down his life for his friends. So as Joy gave that message this morning, I just couldn't help but think the times that we've been carried, even apart from us knowing God, providentially him knowing us and the times that he carried us through rough spots that we didn't get it. You know, my wife and I, we're going to have a baby soon. And just thinking about carrying that baby. When you come to Christ, you're a spiritual babe. And we have to be carried. We're just fumbling around in the dark. We have to be carried. We have to trust. So I thank God for what God has already done in this place. It takes faith to even step forward and say, I need prayer. Right? That is a step of great humility to do that. So that being said, will we give as well monetarily this morning as we've given in different ways, I'm sure many of you, and Pastor Larry's going to speak about giving of time and those kind of things later on this morning. But I just thank God for what he is doing. Because again, with, with what felt like very little preparation for this moment right here, God already had done the work and filled in all the gaps uh, ahead of time. So thank God that he is on the throne. God, we come to you this morning, God, and we take the little that we have, Lord, and we put it into your hand. You know that's where it belongs, and we know you can do much with it. So we give you praise this morning for how you're already working. God, how you use us jars of clay and the different gifts and strengths and talents, Lord. Even what some would say is a weakness, God, you turned that around for your glory. I'm about to step off of this podium and go into and speak on Gideon to children, Lord. And I just thank you, God, for the way that you speak to us when we feel less than and you take that around and turn it to a huge multiplication for your kingdom. God, so would you do that this morning with this offering? Would you take, Lord, the few the simple copper coin, Lord, would you multiply it to things that we could not even speak of this side of heaven. And we thank you, Lord, for we know it's all in your hands. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.
Thank you, Ms. Judy. So five announcements this morning, and I will go through them quickly. If you've got a bulletin or if you want to jot any particular dates down, feel free to do that. Mainly, uh, I will make sure I target the dates and give you the, the big highlights here. On September 13th, which is the upcoming Wednesday night that we have, please come again at 6.30. Uh, I've been hearing good things about the Footsteps of the Savior series. This week, again, is led by Miss Carol, and she already told me this morning of some of the plans that she has for Wednesday night. Uh, do not miss this Wednesday night, 6.30. It will be Chapter 5 of the Footsteps of the Savior. And again, the following Wednesday night as well, uh, that will be a normal 7 p.m. time, uh, but you may remember hearing about this. This is the alternate schools option discussion week. Uh, I challenge you to come out to that, no matter uh, if this is something that's a burgeoning topic for you at this moment or not. Uh, it's good to be informed, and so when we have people that are willing to speak to us on these kind of topics, uh, we want to be as informed and educated as possible, because there are probably people in your circle of influence somewhere that are having to go through these questions and uh, be it in your family or just in your neighborhood or what have you. And so it's good to know uh, what the exact uh, details are out there because even someone who's, this is a very uh, pertinent topic, I can tell you that it's so complex that you know it's good to know as much as you can because it's a very complicated situation. So again, Wednesday night following the 20th, September 20th, that is the 7 p.m. alternate schools option discussion. And then September 30th, the New Beginnings class, um, starting at 9 a.m., going to 2, uh, sorry, go to, to noon, only three hours, 9 a.m. to noon, uh, that is going to be a sign-up sheet out there in the foyer. And this is important in the sense that Ms. Teresa will be leading this Saturday class on, uh, again, the last September of the last Saturday of September. But uh, some of you have heard and you've seen the emails. Uh, I even was thinking about this. I didn't mention it last week while I was preaching. Membership is just officially, formally, kind of what already has taken place in the spirit. When you're part of the uh, body of Christ and you're in this church, you know, we're connected and we're all members of something bigger than ourselves spiritually, right? What on the physical side, to make that official with membership, it just kind of puts a formality to things, right? And so you can put that however you want to. I believe it's very important. Uh, and certainly when it comes to the life of a church, there's no more important topic than a new pastor. And so you've probably seen the emails. This is the last class that you'll have before the opportunity to vote on a new pastor. So I would challenge you if you've even had the class before, you want to refresh or whatever, if you're not a member, just know that there will be a vote uh, before we have an opportunity to do another class. So September 30th, feel free to sign up for that outside. Uh, and again, this is the New Beginnings class, 9 a.m. to noon on September the 30th. With that being said, the following day, uh, the Sunday after, you may remember Mike and Jolene. Uh, Mike and Jolene McAfee will be here ministering. A uh, great brother, friend of mine in the fellowship. Uh, he'll be preaching that morning. She'll be blessed with through song. Um, and then set, set October 7th is my last one. So we've got a lot packed in here. That's why I just wanted to give you the highlights. Uh, there's a night of worship. And I can give you as much of a save the day as I would for, for my brother Mike preaching or as I would, you know, what have you. The group that's going to be here uh, are phenomenal. It's called House of God. You can find them on Spotify, uh, the worship team down in Goldsboro. Some of them have made an official group, and, you know, they're doing another engagement that weekend as well um, in Raleigh. It, like, it's, it's a very, very fantastic group. When we go off and do the conference, uh, national conferences, they're the ones that provide the music. Just phenomenal uh, worship team, and their heart's in the right place, and it's going to be a blessing to us on the praise team to be able to come and enjoy a night of worship 
without us having to put any work in as far as the natural, right? We just show up and we are participants like you all, uh, and it's going to be a big blessing. That is October 7th, 6 p.m., not at Worship House of God, and Smith and TJ Wilson will be providing food. So at nothing else will be nourished spiritually and physically. Looking forward to that fellowship. And again, that starts at 6 p.m. that night. With that being said, Pastor Larry, if you would welcome him. Feed them, and they will come. I wanted everybody to, we're announcing the night of worship early uh, because what happened this morning is just a taste of what happens when you begin to worship the living God. And so this team have been in, in, uh, had a chance to be where they are many times, and that's what they do. They set a table, they usher in the presence of the Lord for us to worship. And so I hope you'll come and... uh, we're going to feed you beforehand, so we always know that works, if nothing else. So <clears throat> we're going to eat probably about 4, 4 o'clock, uh, and then fellowship some, prepare ourselves to come in and worship. So that's on the 7th, and all those announcements should be in your bulletin, so I hope you'll take those and uh, put those in your smartphones, your calendars, right, whatever it is that controls your life. I know my smartphone controls my life, so man, what a, how, 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 how good was that just a few minutes ago? It's nice when the Lord shows up. And he's here whether we feel him or not. Sometimes growing up in the Pentecostal movement, everything was a lot about emotions. And quite frankly, a lot of times I don't feel anything. But it sure is good when I do. And so he visited with us this morning. This morning, I'm going to continue and finish the series, uh, two-part series that I started a couple weeks ago uh, out of the book of James in chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. And so if you have your Bibles, smartphones, iPads, whatever it is you use to study God's Word, if you want to go ahead and, and turn to James 2. And I, I shared with you when I opened this a couple weeks ago that I struggle with the title of it. And so I did a a two-part title. I did a title and a subtitle. And the first title was simply a question. Salvation, is salvation by faith or is it by works? Is it by faith or is it by works? Because in this passage of Scripture, it almost appears that James completely contradicts what the Apostle Paul says. And as often people who want to be critical of God's Word, it'll come and say, well, it's full of contradictions, and it's, it's really not. But this is one area, if they didn't study it and wanted to use it for that argument, could, could make that argument because it does appear on its face directly contradictory. But then the subtitle was, Talk is Cheap. Talk is Cheap. In the first four verses of this passage of Scripture, James says, what someone may say, someone might say, or someone says, we can say anything we want to say. But the heart tells a lot. Our actions, you've heard this, actions speak louder than words. That's true in our faith walk as well. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to read from James 2, verses 14 through 26. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, Be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? 
Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, if you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham my father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. That's the very controversial passage in this, or scripture in this passage. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. I won't spend much time recapping uh, last time's message. I would encourage you to go watch that message. But basically what I dealt with in that is the controversy. I dealt with the controversy because it does appear to be some contradictory statements in there. Paul, the Apostle Paul, over and over and over said multiple times that we're saved by grace through faith, not by works. He says that in multiple places. And here alone comes James in chapter 2, verse 28, 24. And he says, you see then a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. But you have to look at the problem that these men were writing about. The problem that they were addressing. Over and over and over the Apostle Paul was battling, oftentimes people known as the zealots. They were trying to add something to the salvation. They couldn't accept the fact, particularly as Jews, that they, that they were saved now by faith in Christ and the finished work of the cross. So they were always trying to add something to it. Okay, Paul, we get it, but they still need to be circumcised. Okay, Paul, we get it, but they still need to keep the dietary restrictions. They still need to keep the Sabbath. And Paul was no, a thousand times no, and that's still true today. There's nothing you can do to gain or earn your salvation but to accept the finished work of the cross. And that's, that's the problem that Paul was dealing with. But along comes James, and he's writing to a group of people. He's dealing with a problem. And I think that the problem that James was dealing with is the problem that we're dealing with today in the Western American church. They had it down. That, that congregation had it down. We got Ephesians 2, 8, 9 down. Thank you. For it's by grace you've been saved, through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Thank you, Brother Paul. We ain't going to do nothing. We ain't going to change our lives. We're not going to do any good work. Nothing. And James was saying, oh, no, no, no. If you think that's faith, that's not faith. And that is where the controversy came in. Such a controversy that even the great reformer Martin Luther called it a straw book. If Martin Luther had had his way, he would have just thrown the whole thing out of the Bible because Martin Luther had come out of the Catholic Church that built a doctrine of salvation on works. And then we looked at a couple of works of the Bible. The Bible speaks of many types of works. The works of the law. I mentioned those. That was keeping of the Sabbath. That was being circumcised. And Paul came along and said, a man is not justified by works, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Then there was works of the flesh, which Paul said are evident. And they're more evident in our culture today than they've ever been. Things like fornication, lewdness, outbursts of wrath, sorcery, and there's a laundry list of things there. 
that Paul said that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he gives that list many times, and in Corinthians he gives that list, but he follows it up and said, but he says this, and this is important for me, and it's important for you. And such were some of you. So maybe that was a lifestyle you were in, but you've been washed, you've been sanctified. That's not you anymore. And many times when we come to the Lord, if we've got a history, we can't seem to let it go. Why? Because the devil's going to keep it front and center. But remind him of where he's headed in the end and what Christ has done for you. But those evidence of those deeds are still evident in our culture today. But this morning I want to deal with the next work that's often mentioned in the Scriptures, and that is good works. Good works. I just want to read a sampling of Scriptures to you. There's so many Scriptures in the Bible you never take one scripture and build a, build a life on it. You let scripture interpret scripture. If you have a question about something, go see where else the Bible speaks of it. And it speaks over and over and over of that we, we, we are called to good works. Matthew 5, 16, Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Ephesians 2, 10, which comes right on the heels of Ephesians 2, 8, 9 about being saved by grace through faith. We stop there. But 10 says this. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in in them. And Corinthians and Ephesians and now Titus 3.8 are all the words of the Apostle Paul. So if you think Paul, because he said we're saved by grace through works, didn't believe that as we as believers should walk in good works, all these scriptures come directly from Paul himself. And in Titus 3.8 he says this, this is a faithful saying, and these things I want to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain Good works. These things are good and profitable to men. So the question always comes up, what is good works? What is that? Well, the first good work, the work that, that all these works flow out of, the first work that they come from is the work that happens in our heart. It is belief. It is belief. Jesus had done a miracle. He had fed 5,000 people. And all of a sudden, they're following him. And he says this to him, which is true of us today. He says, you don't come to me because you've seen the signs. You come to me because you ate the food and you were full. And oftentimes the reason people come to the Lord is because they have a need. I need healing. I've lost my job. I've done this. And God is able to do those things for us. But the first issue that the Lord is deal with, wants to deal with and he came to deal with is our spiritual condition. He came to save us. All those things flow out of that. But when he said that to them, they said this to him in John 6, 28 through 30. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he sent. And then they go on to ask him about signs and things like that. That's what he said. You want to do the works of God? Church, if you want to do the works of God, it starts with belief in Jesus Christ. It's not a head knowledge. 
It's not something that you just know about. I'll deal with that momentarily. It's something has happened. It has gotten from here to here, and it's flowing out now, and it's transformed your life. You see people different. You want to live different. You want to walk different. You want to talk different. And that's a lifelong walk, and it's a lifelong change, but you know something has changed in your life. And good works are the evidence of that. I found this this morning when I was studying a little bit. It said it is the fruit, not the root. It's the fruit. The root, of, the root of my salvation is Christ and him crucified, nothing else. But the fruit is what we look for. John the, John the Baptist, when he was speaking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So I, I look for things. I, I shared with you last time, I have a tendency to be a little too cynical. I know I do. Because we say churchy things. And I've heard many, many times, you know, Billy Bob got saved today. And I, in my cynical state, I'm often quick to say, we'll see. We'll see. Because although this is a joyful walk, although there's nothing like it, at times this can be an incredibly difficult walk. And that's what James dealt with back when he was talking about the trials. The trials reveal genuine faith. Because at times the walk can be a crawl. And some of you have experienced that. It can be difficult at times. But in this passage of Scripture of James, and in most of through the Scripture, when the Bible talks about good works or good deeds, most of the time it is often talking about meeting specific needs. Meeting specific needs. That's what he says here when he says, if, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and you say to them, depart in peace, be warm, be filled, but you don't give them the things that are needed for the body, what good is it? I mean, if one of our brothers and sisters in here need help with something, we say, I'm going to pray for you. That, that's what we say today, praying for you, brother. Well, praying for me, don't put no food on my table. And don't put no clothes on my back. And so most of the time, what it's talking about is meeting physical needs. But I found this, as I, as I worked through this, I thought about how we live in a very busy society. And what can happen, and one of the things I said I wanted to try to create in this was make sure I kept proper balance. Because I don't want there to be competition. I don't want people to feel like, well, gosh, I, you know, I, can't, I can't go out on witnessing. I can't go on missions trips. And I can't go street preach. And I can't do this. And I can't do that. Because I'm, I've got three kids in school. And I'm trying, to, I'm trying to pay my bills. And I'm trying to run a business. What many of you deal with today. But I found this as I thought through this. And I want to read this to you. And it helped me. And I hope that it will help you. It's called, it comes from the Theology of Work Project. And it's called High Calling. And it says Ephesians 2.10 reveals that we've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. This raises an obvious question. What are the good works God has prepared for me? Many of us would be inclined to answer this question by pointing to specific Christian things Christians tend to do as an expression of their faith. Good works would include attending worship services, praying regularly, Studying scripture, giving generously from our financial resources, joining a small group, going on a missions trip, caring for the poor, working for justice for the oppressed, loving our neighbors, and so forth. These are surely among the good works God has prepared for us. We rightly engage in these activities as people who have been transformed by God's grace through Christ. But if we think of works only in these terms, we miss the extent to which God's plan of good works is much broader and deeper. 
Our translation explains that we are created for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The Greek original reads more literally, which God prepared in advance so that we might walk in them. The language of walking was used by teachers in the time of Paul in the way we might talk of living or engaging in a certain lifestyle. In other words, the good works of verse 10 are not obviously religious activities, and this is important, not obviously religious activities scattered throughout an otherwise secular life. We don't go out and do Christian things, but then live an otherwise secular life. Rather, the good works encompass the whole of the Christian, all that we do by God's grace for God's purposes. And this is what's important. Therefore, though it's certainly right for you to invest yourself in the life of your church and to engage in works of outreach for the sake of the poor, the oppressed, and those who don't know God's grace in Christ, Ephesians 2.10 would encourage you to learn to see your whole life as an interconnected series of good works offered to God. This means that good works can include what you do at work, in the classroom, on the football field, in your neighborhood, in your community associations. If you're a boss, part of your good works involve the way you manage your employees. If you're a parent, your good works include making dinner for your children as well as praying for them as you tuck them into bed. The more we grow in our faith, the more we see ourselves as God's masterpieces. The more we will indeed do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus by his strength, under his authority, and for his purposes. And I added, and for his glory. Moms, dads, employees, employers, what you do day to day, that you do for the glory of God, when you run your business right, when you treat your employees right, when you're a good employee, when you're raising your children, when you're caring for people, you're doing good works. You're doing good works. I got such a, a current example and illustration of that this morning. When I watch Sister Joy take Paul, bring Paul in, take him out, Bring him to church. Joy, that's such a good work. It's a good work, and it, it's taxing on Joy and Denny, but they do it, and it's a good work, and God's going to honor it. And so I don't want you to always think, man, I'm in the throes of life. I can't necessarily go on a missions trip right now, although I hope every person in this church will someday go on a missions trip and make that a priority. Just know that everything you do for the glory of God is indeed a good work. But often throughout the Bible, it does talk about meeting needs. And we as the church should meet the needs of people. We should meet the needs of people. And historically, the church has done that very well. I know we're under attack today. I know we're called bigots. I know we're called homophobes. I know we're called patriarchal. If you don't know what that means, that means that the man is the head of the family and all this stuff. And it's men rule with an iron fist. And we as followers of Christ know all that is not true. So it's ever more important to always be prepared to give a defense for what we do and why we believe what we believe. So I'm going to recommend a book to you. You can write it in your notes if you want to. I like easy reads. Some reads are hard reads. I like easy reads. But this book is called How Christianity Transformed the World, and it's by Sharon James. And I think it's important that every now and again we read just how much followers of Christ through history has changed the world. They go into communities, they go into neighborhoods, nations, through, through missions, through hospitals, through education, and they make the place better by being there. And they do it out of a heart to follow and to share the love of Christ. I just want to read a couple things out of this to you. It says, the most powerful agent in transforming society for the better across 2,000 years 
No other religion, philosophy, teaching, nation, movement, whatever, has changed the world for the better as Christianity has done. Here's another one. It says, but from the inception of the Christian church at Pentecost, the followers of Jesus have sought to love their neighbor and to reflect God's moral character. And then lastly, it says, a world from which the gospel has been banished would surely be one in which millions of our fellows would go unfed, unnursed, unsheltered, and uneducated. The chapters in this book about the impact that Christianity has had are these. Freedom. Freedom. We think about the scars of slavery on our nation. Understand it was followers of Christ who fought hard to put a stop to that. Men like William Wiberforce, they knew that was wrong. Religious liberty, justice, protecting life, the dignity of women. No movement. Jesus is the one who started raising up the dignity of women. We hear today that Christianity is a, is a, is a movement that wants to suppress women. It could not be further from the truth. Philanthropy, health care, education for all, the creation mandate, and the value of work. I would encourage you to go on. You can get it wherever you buy your books, but it, it'll help you. It'll help you know that we as followers of Christ for generations and generations have gone into places and made those places better. Here in our church, we have a benevolence fund, and you all have been so faithful to it, and I realized a couple weeks ago that we've done a really good job explaining it. We've done a good job asking you to give to it, but we haven't done a good job in letting you know that it's available. It's available. And what, what is that? that that's a, a pot of money that we have, and it's to help the people of our church. Maybe you've hit a hump. Maybe, maybe life has thrown you a curveball, and you, and you say, look, I, I just need, I need, a, I need a little help. We have a form. Fill it out. See me. Uh, see Brother Chip. And I'll get you the form. We have a committee and we look it over. And we've, we've helped many people in this church. I wish we could help everyone. But we can't. We can't. I, I shared with you when we were talking about favoritism and how important the wealthy man would have been in a church in James' day. It's different now. Back then, they didn't, they didn't have social services. They didn't have Section 8. They didn't have food stamps. The church was very, very important. So everybody who comes to us at times, who comes in with a need or has a sob story, you got to vet those things. you got to vet them. Because I hate to report, but sometimes people are just swindlers. People will play on your good heart and your good graces. But we do have that there. And I, my, my desire is that you know about this and that we are able to help meet your need. And maybe God has placed you in somewhere where you can meet someone's need. And many of you have. Many of you have. That good work is also right living. Living right. Living according to the Scripture. All of these glorify God. And folks, the thing is, as Christians, we don't have the monopoly on good works. We don't have the monopoly on that. I've had, to, I've had the opportunity to be in some disaster zones when I've been out with the Billy Graham Association, everything from hurricanes to, to all kinds of floods. And they got people, they got relief organizations down there of every flavor. 
I've seen them. The Muslims are down there. They got the atheists down there. They got the Wiccans down there. I mean, all every flavor. They're there. But when we come, we come serving in the name of Jesus. Oftentimes, when you if you see Franklin Graham ever as he's uh, supporting or promoting Samaritan's Purse on the news, he will he will never be on there that he won't say we're serving in Jesus' name. We want them to know there's a God that loves them. And we go in and people make those places better. Why? Because of Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. When you're down doing those good works, when you're helping someone in need, when you're meeting a need, maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's between you and someone else. You let them know. Jesus loves you, and I love you, and you're in a time of need, and I want to try to meet that, that need for you. So, so many times through the Scriptures, it is meeting needs. And oftentimes, the church is criticized over it because people say, well, you're not helping this person. Why aren't you helping this person and that person? But like I said, there has to be a balance. Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those of the household of faith. And then lastly in that, and... You know, this is so clear in the Bible. And when, when Paul is giving instructions to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, and I, I would encourage you to read that whole chapter, 1 Timothy 5. The Bible over and over in the New Testament, he says, take care of orphans and widows, orphans and widows. Because in that time, they, that would, they had nobody else to help them. Like I said, it wasn't like today where there's all kinds of service and no one else to help them. And in 1 Timothy 5, he says this, he says, honor true widows. And Paul goes through and gives such specific instructions. He says, don't take a widow into your number that's under 60. If she's under 60, don't take her in, unless she's been the wife of one man and of a good reputation. He said, refuse younger widows, because they might get called back out into the world. And on those older widows, you know why he said don't take them in? He said, they have if they have children and grandchildren, the first responsibility to take care of someone, even today, is the family. Is the family. It was my responsibility to help take care, make sure my dad's needs are met. When Dolphus got with ill, it was our responsibility. Now, does this mean that we have to follow this just as Paul said? I don't think so. But I think what it says, it is okay for the church to put boundaries in. Because he finishes that chapter by saying this, do not let the church be burdened. Do not let the church be burdened. But we are called to do good works. In this passage of Scripture, what James is actually really doing here, he's, he's dealing with faith. He's revealing that there are three types of faith. Three types of faith. As a matter of fact, he uses the word faith 11 times in this passage of Scripture. There's a dead faith, there's a demonic faith, and there's a dynamic faith. And I'm going to group dead and demonic. In James 2.17, he said this, This also by faith, by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. What James is referring to there is a faith that just had an intellectual understanding of a religious creed. And if you've ever done much witnessing, you know there's a lot of that out there. Oh yeah, I believe. And, and, and this is always proof positive number one. 
Yeah, me and the man upstairs, we're good. Have you heard that before? I know there they have no understanding of the gospel. None. And many times people believe they are saved because they're Americans. It, by, by default, we're, we're Christians, we're followers of the Lord because we're Americans. We're not. We're followers of the Lord when we surrender ourselves to Him. And that dead faith is the faith that just has an intellectual understanding of it. And it has no deeds. No deeds. Jesus Himself in Matthew 7, 21 said this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. He actually goes on to even say, hey, there'll be people do miracles. They'll cast out demons. They're going to do wonders. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Because it never was a real surrender to Christ. It was a head knowledge of him. It was a dead faith. And coupled with that was a demonic faith. You know, there ain't no atheist. You know the devil's not an atheist. You know the demon world? They're not atheists. He said, you believe there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that. Not only do they believe, they tremble. And there's been many, many times I've seen people come into church. It's particularly in a church ours like ours where the Spirit is moving. And there may even be an emotional response. But I have to wait to see that fruit to see did it get from their head, did it get to their heart. And it'll show itself in their life and in their good works. But then there's a dynamic faith. It's a saving faith that touches the mind, it touches the heart, and it touches the will. It results in good works. And there are many, and I've gone through many of those. And James calls two witnesses to make his point. First, he calls Father Abraham. And in talking with the Jews, they would have perked up. Every, all the Jews would have known Father Abraham. And he quotes Romans 4 and 3 when he, call, when he calls on Abraham in verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Abraham believed in God. He had a belief, he had a heart knowledge first. And it was counted as righteous, just like for us. But then something happened that showed that his faith was real. He was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac. And the Bible says those that work and that faith, they were working together to prove that there was a faith. And then he calls Rahab. He calls a Gentile prostitute as a witness. Let's, let's talk about Rahab for a minute. Rahab the spies had gone out to spy the land. And the king of Jericho was going to kill them. And they come into Rahab and Rahab hid them. She hid them. And she said some things about them. She said, look, we're scared to death of your God. We know he's parted the Red Sea. We've seen him kill armies. But then she said this in Joshua 2.11. She said, as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. And this is what, this is, this is what made Rahab act. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and earth beneath. Let me tell you something, church. That same God is still my God and your God. He is God in heaven above and earth beneath. And Rahab recognized that. And because of that, she hid those spies. Belief happened first. 
Her heart, her spiritual eyes were open first to who this God was, and it forced her to action. And it still does that today. Are we saved by faith or are we saved by works? We're saved by faith. We're saved by faith. You're never, you work yourself to death. You can, I've, I've heard this said before old times, I mean, you've heard it. What do you get when you uh, work your fingers to the bone? Bony fingers. And that's all you're going to get. You're not going to work your way into heaven. But you come and surrender yourself to Christ. The evidence that it has really, that that has really happened is in the fact of good works and a changed life and a person whose life is changing and commits themselves to good works. Um, I'm going to ask Matt and the team to come on up. You may have seen when you came in that I, uh, I've, got a, I've got a table, some tables out there. And I want to thank, we have so many people that do so much in our church, and I, I want to thank all of you who are involved. And I, I don't want to start naming names because I'll miss somebody, but I know many of you are what makes Bethel happen. But we have some places where we need some help. And so what we've done, we've set up a table out there, and when we finish here shortly, Brother Matt's going to go out. He'll be standing out at the worship. My wife Tammy will be standing out there for the sound booth. And Sister Christie's going to be standing out there for the children's ministry. We need some help in those areas. And I understand the reluctance sometimes. Because for someone who's volunteered in volunteer organizations, let me tell you, they'll work you to death. So you have to put your own boundaries in. And so maybe you might come and say, listen, I, I, I'm not, I can't do this every other week. But maybe you could say, I will help every six weeks or I'll help every eight weeks. We've got a lot of husband and wife teams here. Maybe you want to volunteer as a husband and wife team in our nursery or with our children. Because that, that's growing. We've had quite a few people in our nursery lately. We've had a lot of kids in our children's church. And I just now, when you go out there, it doesn't mean that you have to do it. But what I'm asking is at least talk, if there's one that you might pique your interest, whether it's worship, whether it's the sound booth, which is putting these uh, words on the screen, uh, Tammy can train you in that, whether it's the soundboard, Chris can help you with that, or whether it's the children's ministry, and they'll explain all these things. Please stop at one of those tables. Doesn't mean that you're willing to help. But I'm going to say something here, and don't get mad at me, because this is Larry talking. <clears throat> Can I tell you something that really just drives me crazy? It really bothers me. It bothers me to see Sister Christy Britt rush in on a Sunday morning. She didn't know I was going to say this, so she's probably going, oh, boy. About to, about to drop a baby at any time. Stand up here, rush up here to, do, to sing, to bless us in praise and worship. And then as soon as the service is over, I have to rush off this stage and work, work back down and work with those children. And she has to do it frequently. I, I would that we had enough people where she wouldn't have to do that so often. And so I, I hope that you'll think about that. Like I said, my, my desire here is not to come off as being critical. I'm just, I'm just expressing a need. And often the times we'll have people come in and they'll say, well, do you have a nursery? Yeah. You have a children's? Yeah. Okay, good. And I want to say, because they have that need, are you willing to help with it? And, and Sister, Sister uh, Teresa and Brother Michael and will tell you, you know, I guess there's different philosophies and schools of thought on this, but oftentimes, 
as our church has grown, I've said, listen, if we don't have somebody, enough people to work, it, we'll shut it down. I mean, if we don't have people who are willing to work and, you know, help us with our children, we'll just shut it down. And you may feel different than me. That's me. And I, hadn't, I had no authority to make that decision, and I wouldn't do that now. But, but I'm just saying we, we're just um, casting a need to you. When it comes to works, there's often uh, excuses. I'm not called. You're right. You're commanded. You're not called. You're commanded. Uh, I'm too old. You're never too old. You're never too old. I hope to God that I stay healthy enough to always be able to do something for the Lord. It may not be what I could do in my 30s, 50s, but something. And we can all do something. I'm too young. Well, that may be the case a little bit. But we want to get our young people involved. And then I think this is a big one. You're hindered by your past. You're hindered by your past. Put your past in the past. And let God use you. And let God use you. Where's our need? In the sound booth, in our children's church, in our nursery. And I have to give this caveat for the praise and worship. If you can't sing and you can't play an instrument, there's not much need in stopping in the praise and worship booth. <laughs> Matt made sure I made that clear. <laughs> there is an audition for that one. Um, and then outside the church, there's the meet me at the bridge, which so many of you are active in. There's the love life that we pray and, and when I say this, and, and when I've said this a couple times, I've been guilty of this. Um, we say about that ministry, and we go out once a month, and we talk about how we pray, and then we'll say, and we whisper, at, at the abortion clinic. Okay, we, we're not, we don't hold signs. We don't holler at people. We simply go and stand <clears throat> within eyesight of the abortion clinic, and we pray that God will change hearts, change the hearts of the workers, change, change the hearts of the people who are coming in. That's simply all we do. There's the emergency chaplains. Lisa, I think you, you had some people show up at your house. Emergency chaplains is a great way to get involved in the community. And there's um, pregnancy support services. And many of you have helped so, so, so well with that. So I'm just going to close. The, the team is going to play just a little bit. I actually brought you guys up. I don't know if I'm going to use you or not. Um, because I'm going to close the service. We, we, in essence, had our altar call right here earlier. And um, what I want to do is I'm going to ask everyone, if you would, to stand. I take that back, Matt. I am going to use you. <laughs> because what I want to do before we leave, what I always want to do, I, I know the Lord was here. If you didn't respond earlier, I don't know that you'll respond now. But if you're here today... And the, and the Holy Spirit has gripped your heart at any point of this service, and you say, I need to get right with God. There's some things I need to make right. This altar's open. The altar's open. I'm going to ask everyone, if you would, we end our service by just gathering around the altar. That's what we're going to do. We're not, we've, we've prayed over each other. I just want to gather down as they sing. I'm going to pray uh, to close this. And then as you leave, if you please, if you have any interest, if you would please just stop by one of those booths out there and somebody will be there. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean you're going to volunteer. Just look, I might would be interested in this. I would might like to have a little more information on it. So all who will, if you'll just come down to the front.